Thank you for joining us for Growing You, part of the LaGrave CRC's adult education program. Before we begin, two notes. One, we apologize for technical difficulties and requests of no recording that have prevented us from releasing a couple episodes. Secondly, we want to let you know that after this session, we'll be taking a break until January 9th. We hope you will join us in the new year. In this session, we are joined by Reverend Chris Schoon of the CRCNA. He is the Director of Faith Formations Ministry, and he is leading us in a discussion about Advent, what impact Advent has on us, and consider if Advent is the beginning of the Christian liturgical year, what that might mean in our lives for the rest of the calendar year. So thank you for having me back. Uh, it's always nice to do part one of a presentation and be welcome back for part two. Uh, so it's good to be here with you all this morning again. Um, this is part two, so I'm just going to um, very briefly highlight a few of the things we talked about last week for those who may not have been here, uh, and then we'll, we'll focus in on the second part today. So last week we talked about what is Advent. Uh, I named how it's the first liturgical season in the Christian calendar, and that at, uh, as with all of the liturgical seasons in the calendar, they're intended as a discipleship tool. They form us into the story of Jesus Christ, the major events of Christ's life, the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, even in some sense, the ordinary time is a dialogue about how do we now live in light of these major events that uh, God has done in the redemptive work through Christ. And so um, when we talk about Advent and we talk about the season of Advent, part of what we're doing is how are we going to be intentional about growing in our faith? How do we grow up into Christ? Uh, and so that's, that's in the background as we talk about Advent. Uh, we've named a couple of the cadences of Advent. Uh, remembering and anticipating. We talked about how Advent looks back uh, at what God has done, also looks back at the expectation and the anticipation uh, of God fulfilling his promises. So we, we kind of put ourselves in, the, in the, the shoes of God's people throughout history who were looking forward to the Messiah. And so our remembering has both the remembering of what God has done, but also of the longing of God's people for the Messiah. But it also is anticipating in the sense that we're looking ahead to Christ's second coming. And Advent holds those two together. The first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ um, holds those together. And so we, we feel that tension both of remembering and of anticipating when we celebrate Advent. Advent also has another side to it that we we talk about waiting with Advent, but we don't often talk about the longing of Advent. And along with the lights and the extra songs and, and the special worship services and kind of the, the bigger, exciting side of, of that, Advent also has a tradition of naming longing. It, it often is rooted in the end of Isaiah 8 and start of Isaiah 9, where it talks about a people living in darkness who feel disconnected from God. And, and if we, we follow through some of the tradition around Advent, Advent often started with the sanctuary being stripped bare and there being just a single candle 
a, a light in the midst of darkness. And each week, a, a building that happens of a longing for God to show up, but a longing that starts in our space of recognizing not everything's right, not everything's good, and we need a Savior. In fact, some of the earliest practices around Advent started because of people trying to disciple new believers into, me, into what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And in that discipleship effort, Advent had a lot of the similar practices as what Lent does. Confession, times of fasting even, a, a sense of, Lord, we need you to search us and know us, change our lives. So it was often seen as a time, not just a preparation for baptism, which it was, but also a a time of renewal for the church as a whole. Sometimes you hear the phrase today um, that Christ might be born in our hearts. Well, that has its roots in this longing and awaiting type of cadence that's in Advent. The other thing we talked about towards the end last time was how Advent immerses us in the biblical narrative. Um, if you participate in one of the candlelight services uh, that, that have traditionally been around uh, Advent time as we approach Christmas, um, they start in the garden and they go to the promises of Adam uh, or the promises given to Adam and Eve that um, their sin would not be the end of the story, but that one of the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And then it moves to Abraham, and it moves through the Old Testament narrative up into Luke and the expectation at the start of Luke um, that you see spilling out in, uh, in, in John's parents and in Mary as they, they're like, wow, we're caught up in this story that's been going on for so long, and we get caught up in that story. It's as if we're not just outside observers to the story, but Advent has a way of pulling us into the story as participants within it. So those are the things we talked about. There's the promise um, given to to Adam and Eve that this wouldn't be end. The promise within the promise given to Abraham that one of Abram's seed, one seed, (laughs) would end up blessing the whole world. And that brought us to this week. This week we're going to talk about some Advent practices um, and, and how those practices are not just for the Advent season, but actually be, can become part of our way of life. So the first one that I want to name for us today has to do with remembering and anticipating. There's a, a tradition, Ignatian spirituality tends to emphasize it more than we do in the Protestant tradition, but a, tradition, a, a practice called examine. It's a personal practice that we're invited to do at the end of each day, which really has that posture of remembering the day with gratitude for what God has done and for um, the gift of life you've received that day, and coming to a place in that remembering of saying, Where did I notice God at work in my life today? Where did I notice God at work in the world around me today? And then moving from there to a place of, where did I resist God's work in me, in the world? In what ways might I have acted counter to that? And how then can I look forward to tomorrow, which again will be a gift from God? And it's a simple kind of daily practice 
It fits with this pattern that we're learning in Advent of remembering and also anticipating. It's in some sense saying, how, how do I personally inhabit this practice of remembering what God has done, anticipating what God will yet do, and finding myself as a participant in that storyline? I want to read a, a blessing. Um, any of you know Jan Richardson? Jan Richardson is a, a poet. Um, she's also an incredible artist, um, Christian. Uh, and she wrote this, um, call, this book called Circle of Grace. And she says it's a book of blessings for the seasons. And by the seasons, she really means the liturgical seasons. And uh, has some really powerful stuff in, in here uh, that helps us understand uh, a bit more about the depth that goes into these seasons. This is a blessing for waking. And it's the first one in her reflections on Advent. And I think it fits well with this idea of, of kind of examining, sitting in the midst of God's story. This blessing could pound on your door in the middle of the night. This blessing could bang on your window, could tap dance in your hall, could set a dog loose in your room. It could hire a brass band to play outside your house. But what this blessing really wants is not merely your waking, but your company. This blessing wants to sit alongside you and keep vigil with you. This blessing wishes to wait with you. And so, though it is capable of causing a cacophony that could raise the dead, this blessing will simply lean toward you and sing quietly in your ear, a song to lull you not into sleep but into waking. It will tell you stories that hold you breathless till the end. It will ask you questions you never considered and have yet and have you tell it what you saw in your dreaming. This blessing will do all within its power to entice you into awareness because it wants to be there, to bear witness, to see the look in your eyes on the day when your vigil is complete and all your waiting has come to its joyous end. There's something of that, of what she's reflecting on, that, that actually ushers us into the space of realizing the grand story we're living in by remembering and anticipating actually started before us and will extend beyond us. And yet, we are welcome to know God in the midst of it. The other part, I think, in this would be the rehearsing of the big story and our place within it. And I want to say just a little bit more about this. One of the things I, I found helpful to do as I was reading Scripture, um, even on my own, but also in worship, was to say, where is this story located? Where in the big story is this located? And I, I'll show you in just a minute part of how I've done that. But one of the reasons I found this necessary and this coming out of the Advent season is the Advent season, as it immerses us in that story, 
of what God has been doing all along, it reorients us from all the stories that are competing for our attention in the world. The stories that say, this is how you're successful. This is what's really important in life. This is what is a tragedy in the world. All those stories are are constantly competing for our attention. And when we learn to rehearse this big story, part of what we're doing is saying, what is ultimately real? Is it the pressures that we feel in the moment, or is it this big story? And this big story, part of how I've done it is, I've actually walked out space and said, okay, (laughs) the Bible begins with God creating out of nothing. And it's beautiful, and it's overflowing with goodness. Genesis 1 and 2, lots and lots of good stuff. Genesis 3, not so good. (laughs) We resist, we fall apart, we reject. End of Genesis 3, all the way into the Gospels, there's this struggle that's going on of what it means to be God's people in a world that resists God even when we resist God and and God at work to faithfully call us back and restore things and redeem things. And and then we get to that New Testament part of the story and and we see Jesus Christ coming on the scene and, and the promise that not only will we be saved from our sins but that all things will be made new. And then I'll step further and say, and the Bible even tells us the end of the story. And so I physically will walk that storyline out. And then I'll say, the story that we're reading today or the story of my life is anchored here. (laughs) And I'll find the spot in the story where it's anchored. Sometimes that may be delighting in the goodness of creation. I have a spot at Hoffmaster State Park that I love to go sit at. (laughs) And I look out over the lake and I marvel at God's goodness and beauty and creation. And that anchors me in the first part of the story. Sometimes when I'm listening to people, pastors mostly these days, as they're talking about the things that are tearing their heart, about, heart apart and the weariness that they often carry right now, I, I find myself anchoring the story right here. <laughs> in that struggle of God's people looking for the day of redemption when God will make all things new. And sometimes I'm sitting with somebody who's so excited because they felt the call of God on their lives and the Spirit at work in them, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of heading towards the end part of that story, and we're being caught up in that. There's something about this remembering and anticipating rhythm we learn in Advent that helps us to rehearse this big story and be able to find our place within it. That leads us to immersing ourselves in Scripture. And and two pieces I want to say with this one. Um, There's an initiative called the Public Reading of Scripture. Um, It's being... Uh, it's actually quite popular within the Korean churches, within the Christian Reformed Church. Um, Hillside CRC here in, in the Grand Rapids area... Uh, offers this weekly. Um, And what they do is they sit down as a group, anywhere from five up to 12 or 15 people, they'll sit in a room together and they simply listen to scripture being read, a large section of it, like half an hour, 45 minutes of just sitting and listening to scripture. It's pretty profound because the few times that we do that as a, as a church, 
are typically the candlelight service, where we hear lots of scripture, and Good Friday, where we hear lots of scripture. Other than those two services, we typically only hear a couple verses at a time. Maybe a two to three minute reading of scripture, that would be considered really long. Some of us would actually go, wow, is he going to preach on all of this today? Right? But there's something about the Advent rhythm that immerses us into the story of Scripture to help us see the big picture and not just the soundbite parts. I'm not saying soundbite parts are bad. (laughs) But the anchoring of us in the full story is really, really important. And so I'd encourage you as a church to even think about what would it look like for us to just sit and listen to Scripture without a sermon, without a Bible study attached to it, just sit and listen together and then look at each other and say, hmm, what did you hear? What did you hear? Here's what I heard. There's something powerful and life-shaping about that. We often don't put sermons with those Good Friday and candlelight services more broadly in the church. Maybe you do here, but more broadly, those two services allow Scripture to be the sermon itself. The second is practice telling the story. Someone challenged me once, um, can you tell the whole gospel story in one minute? Phew. I, I fumbled. I, probably the first 20 times I did that, I fumbled. I still fumble over it. How do I tell the whole story of what God's been doing? Very shortly. But it's actually been helpful to immerse myself in that big story. Say, there's this God who created everything. And humanity was created along with the rest of creation to bear God's image in the midst of it. And when we do... Man, it is good. The reality is we haven't always wanted to. In fact, as a people, we turned against God and we fought against God and we said we can do it better on our own. And as we tried to do that, we found out pretty quickly, actually within a generation, we end up killing each other. And we kill each other over worship. Right away at the beginning. We get in all these places where all sorts of things get distorted. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation itself. And God, in his grace, said that won't be the end of the story. And right there and then, God began a long road of redemption that led through choosing a particular people to say, even though they mean nothing in the world, I'm going to love them, and through them, I'm going to do something that you never expected. And that never expected actually came part of the story later on where God himself became one of us in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, both through his birth, his life, his death, and eventually his resurrection and ascension to heaven, Jesus Christ modeled for us what it is to live faithfully with God, with each other, with the world around us. And his death, because he stood in our place as fully God and fully human, He made it possible we can live that way again, too. But he didn't leave us on our own when he went to heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit through whom we're learning to live and follow Jesus more faithfully. And the church has been at work trying to figure this out and walk with the Spirit and cooperate with the Spirit for centuries now. 
And we're looking forward to a day that Jesus has promised that he will return and make all things new, including us. And that's a good story. It's good news in the midst of all the brokenness and the other news that we hear. Practice telling the story. It may change as you talk about it, as you learn. There may be parts that you want to emphasize more as you go along. But Advent, as it immerses us in the big scope of Scripture, invites us to be able to tell that story ourselves. Longing and waiting. Technically, this book by Tish Harrison Warren, Prayer in the Night, is not an Advent book. But wow, does it resonate with Advent. Uh, I read it last year during Advent, uh, and at a time where a couple family members were going through pretty significant mental health crises. And it spoke into the darkness that I was experiencing during that Advent as I walked alongside others. This quote is in the book, and it really, to me, hits at the heart of what's in Advent and the longing and the waiting Tish says, mysteriously, God does not take away our vulnerability. He enters into it. Isn't that the heart of Advent? That longing and saying, God, rescue us, save us, pull us out of this space we're in. And God says, I'm going to enter it. I'm going to come and join you in the midst of it. There's something about this longing and waiting that calls us to receive the story of Christ in a way that honors mystery. But I think it leads us towards silence, spaces of being quiet and still. And this, again, from Tish Harrison Warren. Silence also taught me to be patient with God's silence, to keep struggling to trust him when he wouldn't give an answer, a sign, or a quick resolution. Remember that kind of minor key note about Advent that it talks about longing? (laughs) It brings us into those spaces of darkness. There's a practice that goes with that of silence. And actually, this is considered a spiritual discipline. To have spaces of silence. One of the ways that I've learned to do this just quietly throughout the year, coming out of both Advent and Lent practices, is when I come to a red light, car's fully stopped, (laughs) take my hands off the steering wheel, and I just lay them in my lap open. What does it mean to be silent in that moment? To stop. To go, God, in the midst of my hurry and desire to get wherever I happen to be going, I need to pause, to be still. And in this silence, recognize that you're doing more than what I understand. That's part of entering into this mystery. (laughs) Simple little practices that help us remember the story of what God is doing and that quite often God is doing more than what we can comprehend. That's part of Advent. We cannot comprehend God, the creator, becoming part of creation. We cannot comprehend the fullness of God residing in the fullness of humanity. 
And so coming to those places where we are silent in the presence of the mystery of who God is and how God works in the world is an Advent rhythm that I think spills out through the rest of the year. The other part is lament. And I find silent and lament often go together. Part of what Tish talks about in here is the reality of grief and the presence of grief in our life which we spend all sorts of money and time and energy trying to avoid. And she says, I've come to also see grief as part of the everyday experience of being human in a world that is both good and cruel. In this sense, grief is a constant for us. It is a real and right response to our vulnerability. And there's two things in this quote that I think get again at the Advent piece and call us towards practices of lament. One is recognizing grief is all around us and within us. Not to say that we don't want it to be overcome, but to recognize that it is a constant state in our world. We are a world that is disconnected from God and has not yet seen the fullness of God's redemption. Sometimes shorthand way we say that in the Reformed tradition is already but not yet. We recognize God's sovereignty, but we know we're not yet in the fullness of the coming kingdom. And because of that, there is brokenness, and that brokenness should weigh heavy on us to the point where we cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13. The second part is, it's a real and right response to our vulnerability. And there's something in that that's appropriate to say, You know what? I am finite. And I am ultimately dependent on God's care and God's generosity towards me. I am vulnerable. (laughs) And that is a really hard thing to say in our North American culture. Advent puts us in a place of saying, God, we cannot save ourselves. We are vulnerable. We need a Savior. That is part of the Advent cadence. And coming to a place of that longing and waiting where we allow lament to come in and become part of our language and conversation, I think is something that we can carry out of Advent into the rest of the year. Two more uh, that I'll be much briefer with. One is intentionality with visual space. In Advent, we do an incredible job with this. Not just the colors, but lighting, decorations, signs. It's not just in the church building. It fills our homes. I don't know what your traditions are, but on my family's tradition growing up, Thanksgiving Thursday was turkey day. Thanksgiving night was my dad making turkey soup. Friday was us doing shopping together and playing games as a family. Saturday was setting everything up for Advent and Christmas. Christmas tree shopping, we'd go cut it down. We'd set it up. We'd decorate it, we'd start singing songs, and we would eat the turkey soup that my dad made on Thursday night. There was all sorts of tradition in that, all sorts of marking of time in the season. We do that incredibly well with Advent. Epiphany comes along and we're like, hey, there's lights. (laughs) We do a little light of the world, Jesus, shine your light, those type of songs, and that's about it. And then we, we get to Lent and we do a little bit and then Pentecost is like, well, there's red today. And the Holy Spirit came. And that's it. 
what would it look like for us to take this intentionality with visual space that we surround ourselves in and have that become part of the pattern of the way we live throughout the year? And I think there's actually a scripture text that points us to this practice. It's Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. Right as um, people of Israel are about to head into the promised land, Moses is essentially giving them his final word and, and guidance. Um, comes right after the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's kind of what we're to be doing. This is the prop that goes with it. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, have this conversation, this story about the life I'm calling, in, calling you into. Have it surround you. Have it fill your days and your conversations. And you're going to need help doing that. So visually surround yourself with it. So that you see my commands, you hear my word again and again and again and again. What would it look like for us to tie God's word around our hands, bind them on our foreheads, to write them on the door frames of our houses and on your gates? Invite us to consider the intentionality with visual space we do during Advent and ask the question, what would this look like the rest of the year? And finally, special gatherings. Um, We do this really well during Advent. Uh, I went to one last night, the Christmas Pops concert at Grand Rapids Christian High School. Uh, Really good crowd out, lots of singing. People cried at some of the songs. It was worshipful in the midst of celebrating the gifts God's given to our children. Uh, Incredible. Multiple generations involved, the conductors and, and other leaders and the students working together. We do the same thing in church services quite often during this season where we, we want kids' voices involved in telling the Advent and Christmas story and reading those scripture passages, and we do it in our homes. My growing up, one of the traditions we had was that the youngest grandchild would, would uh, read or recite the Luke 2 narrative. It was a way of involving all of us together. But we get outside of this Advent season Eh, special music kind of ebbs away. The involvement of people of all ages in the worship ebbs away a little bit. Dramatic readings of the biblical narrative ebb away. Now, I agree a dramatic reading of some parts of Ezekiel would be quite troubling. Um, you know, so it, it, we have to ask some questions around that. But Are there practices of this, of these special gatherings, these intentional remembering of God's story, these intentional involving all ages of the body of Christ together that we could carry out of Advent into the rest of the year? So these are just some of the Advent practices. I've named five major kind of ones for us to think about. I'm certain there are a lot more, um, but wanted to share those with you today. Dialogue. Opportunity for you to ask questions, to respond um, uh, to things that you've heard today, offer suggestions of practices that may be meaningful in your homes or your 
families that could carry on beyond Advent. So let's open it up. That's the first part. I won't be leaving, so I apologize if you went over it. But I was just curious what, like, how the early church, did they start to celebrate Advent right away, or when did that start? Not, yeah. not right away. Um, there are some evidence, um, 300s, 400s, that there were some of the things that we would call Advent now that started showing up. Um, but it, does, it doesn't develop for a few hundred years after that. And it, it's kind of a gradual building into what we know today. Um, uh, Fleming Rutledge, who's written a huge book on Advent, uh, she was commenting the other day that the names that we use for the Advent candles are only maybe a century old, maybe two centuries old. Before that, uh, I won't remember them all off the top of my head, but it was something like judgment, uh, hell, heaven, and something else. Like they were, like they were, they were drastic, like in your face. Um, not the pleasant hope, <laughs> joy, peace, love that we use today. Uh, so she said there was some, there's something about the historical practice that we've lost in terms of the way it confronted us. Uh, yeah. Does it take a minute to recite the Apostles' Creed to tell the story? Um, no, you could tell the story through the Apostles' Creed, and the church has done that. So I, I, that is one way to do it. Yep. Others? Just that public reading of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So are there sort of models out there yeah. available? Yeah, there, yeah. there is. Um, uh, there's a foundation in New York City called Grace and Mercy Foundation which has actually been funding um, a whole bunch of recordings of of Scripture in different translations. So King James is out there. There's a couple other ones. They're doing it in multiple different languages, and they make those available for groups for free. And then, um, and by recordings, they've hired, like, voice talent out of Hollywood and that to do the readings. Um, But then they... They make it available for free, and so you can actually just hit play as a group, and the whole group listen to it. Uh, um, it's yeah. If you if you Google public reading of scripture, um, it'll you should be able to get that. I wonder if there's a connection between the belonging and the introspection with the darkness of the time of year that. Did Advent always land in the shortest days of the year? Yes. But you also have to remember shortest day from our perspective in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, So we, Southern Hemisphere, it's the longest days of the year. Um, But in the, I guess, the, the European Northern type trajectory of this in the practice of Advent, it's always been in the the darkest days, the longest time of the year. And that's, that's really where the Advent tradition developed um, most significantly. I do think there is something to that. Um, I, don't, I haven't done the research to see how did this relate to other cultural practices at that time. I know Christmas Day, um, a lot of our symbols of Christmas Day were drawn out of other cultural practices and kind of kind of baptized into the Christian faith, but I'm, I'm not sure how closely the Advent practice is related to that. Um, the, roots, the roots were not European of Advent, but some of the practices maybe. 
Yeah, I always find, you know, like the second or third week in January, when I start to notice that the days are getting longer, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, wow, this, this is going to end. It's yep. <laughs> Especially, it yeah. Especially here in West Michigan, uh, I, I say there is a particular shade of gray that Crayola has not made yet. It's called West Michigan Gray. Uh, yeah. Others. I, I would say there's bits and pieces. Um, uh, now that you put me on the spot, I can't remember the church name. I think it's New Life in Guelph, Ontario, has art incorporated all year, and they, um, the back wall of their sanctuary would be a wall similar to this one here, kind of wood paneling, and they... Um, they regularly rotate the art, but it's all art from the congregation. So they're constantly saying, you know, our next season is this, and over this season we're going to pay attention to this theme, and we're inviting people to submit photography this time, or next time it will be we're inviting people to um, submit some sort of sculpture or other artwork, and they, they use that whole back sanctuary to, back of the sanctuary to, to have the congregation tell the story through their artwork. The one I was, the last time I was there, um, it's been a few years now, they had, um, they said, we're going to, for the season of Lent, we're going to focus on the cross, but we want you to send in pictures, take pictures of where you see that in the world around you. And they were telephone poles, um, the juncture of buildings that people took photography of. Um, someone I remember had um, sticks on a ground that had formed a cross. And so they, they use stuff like that, and they do that year-round. And so I, I think that I've pulled together a variety of things, so I wouldn't say I know of any church that does all of this, but each of these pieces I've seen at work in different places. Yeah. We use a tree. Yes. And it begins with an artificial tree that's about two feet tall that we put on a little end table with just a few on it. And the ornaments were taken from a PDF that we picked up somewhere along the way. There are 25 of them, so we use them on December 1 through 25. They're only about two inches square. Yep.
finding that one little nugget that numbers, um, or we can end up just impulsively talking about that one verse. So it varies from night to night, depending on the symbol. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. I think um, I think the Jesse Tree model is a really good one for how we are intentional with immersing ourselves in that biblical narrative during Advent. That's a great example. Um, the Dwell curriculum, so um, my team oversees the Dwell curriculum at the denomination, and one of the people on the team created a Jesse Tree using the symbols from the Dwell Sunday School curriculum. Um, I don't know if that's the one you have, but that it's downloadable, it's free, available, but it's the same, it's the same idea. It, it gives us that symbol and, and invites us to ponder what's this art saying to us? Where is it in the story? How does it help us understand the story? And then you read the story and engage it. It's, I think it's a wonderful practice. Yeah. As long as, long as you're talking about the dual curriculum, are there other free, uh, resources that you can offer and direct us to that help give us language that maybe is a little more accessible to the younger people that um, either were parenting or leading and guiding them to help them understand what it means to law for and to be for. So we, over the last two, well, year and a half now, um, we've been doing something called the Faith Practices Project which goes over, um, we've got resources for 12 different spiritual disciplines that we've, we've put out there now. With each of those, we came up with um, a little document that's five ways that um, families can practice this in the home. And all of those are available under the, um, the brand of Dwell at Home. So um, it, it has things practicing silence, justice, and mercy, uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, and all of those are available for free now. So we're, we're very intentional about anything that we're, we're doing in Faith Formation Ministries right now to say, how do we do this as a community that we have specific resources geared towards parents and especially parents of young kids? Uh, so we understand, back to that Deuteronomy passage of impress them upon your children. Um, that's one of our main responsibilities in the Christian community is to pass the story to the next generation uh, and invite them into it. So, yep, um, we're close to time. So I'd like to um, another blessing from Jan Richardson uh, uh, as our closing uh, prayer here. So invite you to receive this. Blessed are you who bear the light in unbearable times who testify to its endurance amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and grief. Blessed are you in whom the light lives, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest night can be seen the fire that shines forth in you, in unaccountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illumines every broken thing, it finds. May God, by his grace in Jesus Christ, work this within us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Growing You. A a reminder that we will be taking a break until January 9th, where we will be joined by Dr. Jamie Smith of Calvin University presenting 
You are what you love.